a few things have happened in the past couple of weeks that are very exciting for me as a pastor. I feel like you guys are starting to ask more questions, which is always exciting for me as a pastor. Um, but even even things as simple as somebody letting me know that they're really excited to get a new study Bible, things of that nature. Um, but but even, even more so than that, people that are willing to say, hey, um, I know that I'm falling short in this area. I know I need improvement. I know that you know, this is something that I've been convicted about, or this is something that I've been thinking about. Just openness and God, God working that and bringing that about through worshiping together, through praying and reading together, um, has just really, really, really been encouraging to me as pastor. But in conversations outside of the church as well, and here, so here at Mindy's Baptist, and then outside of this particular congregation as well. Just continually being reminded that one of the things that we need the most, and when I say we, I mean everybody, unsaved and those who have professed faith in Christ, what we, one of the things that we need the most is really just a clear understanding of the gospel and salvation. Um, y'all have heard me say often that one one of the things that mankind still struggles with is salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Because our natural inclination is to say, well, yeah, but what do I got to do? What, what do I got to do to know that I'm saved? Or what do I have to do to be saved? And the biblical answer to that is, Believe. And our natural inclination to that response is to say, right, I get that. What do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do to be a Christian. Tell me what I have to do to be saved and I'll do it. And the biblical response is, believe. Repent and believe. And if somebody really does believe, the repentance will be there. They go hand in hand. The biblical response, you're saved by grace through faith. That's it. To take it a step further, you say, okay, well, what do I got to do to be a Christian? You could say, well, that's not the the question. The, The question really ought to be, what has Christ already done to save people, to save sinners? And then that kind of gets you thinking in a, in a much better direction. Christ, perfect, sinless, spotless, laid down His life, a willing sacrifice, crucified upon the cross. His blood was shed to atone for the sins of all who would ever believe. Okay, So His blood was shed, the sacrifice was made, so that all who believe will be saved. We know that He did not stay Dead. He was buried. He did not stay buried. Did not stay in the tomb. Three days later he arose. We serve a, a risen Savior. So the gospel message isn't, isn't really what do you have to do to be saved. Here's what you need to do. The gospel message is consider Christ. Look at what he has already done. Believe. That's it. That's it. And we still struggle with that. 
to this day. Because our natural inclination is to say, give me some rules to follow. Give me a three-step process. Give me a confirmation class. Give me, give me something that I can go to for four. Is there like a four-week course that I can come to and be a part of? And then when I wrap that course up, that's how I know I'm really saved. Is there like some kind of program that I can go through? And then I'll, and then I'll know that I'm saved. And all of that misses the mark. Even if, even if we were to say and use some real practical stuff, well, I, I have been coming to church for 20 years. I only miss a church service. If I'm sick, I never make an excuse to miss church. I'm always there. I always give. I, during those 20 years, I've had some moments where I wasn't making as much money as I used to, but I still gave to the church. So I've come to church, I've given. If the church ever has an event, if the church has a building project or something like that, I always make sure that I try to be there and I, I help at the church and I do all those things. So so those are those are things that I can look to and, and I know that I'm a Christian. No, they're not. No, they're not. The only hope and the only assurance that any of us can ever truly have that we are saved, that we belong to God, is by looking at Christ, looking to Christ and His finished work upon the cross. Because any of those things that we just mentioned, church attendance, giving, whatever, any religious activity, you can never do that enough. You can never be perfect in any of those things. You can never meet the mark of true righteousness, which is perfect obedience. To God, we can never meet that mark. Therefore, we will always fall short. So none of those things can, none of those things should be the things that we look at for hope and for assurance that we truly are saved. Salvation begins and ends with the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So with these things in mind. We've been going through Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Abraham. But this morning, I really just want to look at being justified before God. And how is that possible? How is it possible for sinners, sinful man, to be justified before a holy God? And so, that's, that's good news. Because the good news is, sinners can be made right before a holy God. But we've got to start with the bad news First, so Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We've, we've made this little remark before. But even, even full grown adults. You go somewhere. And you see a sign that says don't touch wet paint. There's something within each and every one of us that, that says. I, wanna, I wonder if it's still wet. Wonder if it, the sign said do not touch wet paint. That's probably been there for three days. That thing's not wet. We'll touch it. And, and it might be dry. 
But the point is, when we see a law, when we see a rule, there's something within us that we are tempted to say, they can't tell me what to do. I can do what I want to do. I can, I can make my own rules. I can follow my own rules. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you're putting on a little too much weight. You might need to change your diet. I'm not changing my diet. Can't tell me that. I'll just, maybe I'll just start working out more. I'll still eat whatever I want to eat, but I'll start, I'll start going to the gym or I'll, I'll wake up early in the mornings. I'll start walking. I, I don't have to change what I eat. I can't do, you know, we've, we've got family members, diabetic, not supposed to eat certain things, not so, not supposed to drink certain things. You know what they still do? Yeah, they still eat and drink those things or not. Why? Well, I can have one every now and then. It's okay to have one every now. What did the doctor tell you? Never to have one. But I can have one every now and then. We make up our own rules. We don't like laws. We don't like being obedient to things. We don't like submitting to someone else's authority. How many of you speed when you drive? You know, when you pass those signs that say speed limit, that's a law. That's a law. How many of us, myself included, well, I can go five or six over. Everybody does that. Everybody goes five or six over. I've even heard that you can go nine miles over, but it's really, once you hit that tenth, that tenth mile per hour over the speed limit, that's when the cops really get upset with you. So you can go up to nine miles over the speed limit and you're good. Or if you get real clever about it, especially when you get on the interstate, Get behind somebody who's just going a little bit faster than you. Follow them. Because you know, if you see the blue lights, that person's going faster than you are. So surely the cop's going to get that person that was going 82 and you were just going 79. We can get smart with it. We can, we can come up with systems, right? So there's three or four little simple examples that it is ingrained within us. We see a rule, we see a law, and there is something within us that says, I want to fight back against that. I want to, I want to push back against that. Or there are also times where you might, you might make rules for yourself. You might say, okay, I'm going to start eating healthy, or I'm going to start going to the gym, or I'm going to start putting this much money aside each week, and then a few weeks go by, a couple of months go by, or maybe a year, maybe a couple of years go by. And, and you look at how you did and you say, well, I wasn't perfect, but I made progress. I wasn't perfect, but I did make a lot of improvements. And that's a good, like in a, in a human way of speaking, in life, we would say, well, that's good. Making improvements is good. You weren't perfect, but hey, your goal might have been to lose 80 pounds, but you lost 63 pounds. Well, hey, you weren't perfect. You didn't meet the goal, but losing 63 pounds is an awesome thing, right? Well, you wanted to save $8,000, but you saved $6,500. So you weren't, you didn't quite meet the mark, but you did good. You put $6,500 to the side. That's a good thing. Guess what? If the standard is perfection, and you fall short of that, you didn't meet the mark. Now we're talking about spiritual things. Now we're talking about God's standard. And that is the standard of God. Perfection. If you think you take the Ten Commandments, just those, 
You say, well, I, I have never committed adultery. I have never cheated on my spouse. Ever told a lie? Ever coveted anything? Were you disobedient to your parents growing up? Are you still disobedient to your parents? Yeah, but on that one, I, I haven't, I haven't, haven't done that. And guilty, guilty. Let me reread these couple of verses here. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Have you ever seen somebody, or maybe if you're a parent, you have a child that you were talking to your child and they kept making excuses or giving reasons why they did what they did, but you finally get to the point where they just submit to the fact, I'm guilty, I'm not trying to make any more excuses, I've been caught, and their mouth is stopped. They've got nothing left to say. Or maybe that was you. Maybe you've been in a situation where you were trying to justify what you did or justify how you did it, but finally you came to the conclusion, you know what? Guilty as charged. I've got nothing left to say. I confess. My mouth is stopped. I have no excuses. I have no justification. I have no reason. Guilty. Mouth is shut. Nothing left to say. That's what we're talking about here. There are so many people that will try to say, I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I've done this. I've done that. Here's what the law actually does. And, and, and keep this in mind. This is how foolish it is for any of us. To look to the law for our justification. If we start to say things, well, well I do that. The Bible says to, to, to have compassion to others, and I do that. The Bible says to love God, I do that. The Bible says to love others, I do that. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling together. I, I do that. The Bible says this and I do all those things. This is how foolish it is to actually turn to the law and turn to uh, rule keeping to justify you. It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The law, rule keeping, offers no hope of salvation. Rule keeping, keeping the law, offers no hope of being justified before God. Why? Because you can never obey good enough. You can, you can, never, you can never be good enough. You can never follow the rules well enough. You can never follow the law well enough to actually be justified in the sight of a holy God. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Wherever there is a law, there's what comes after that is a knowledge of sin. Go all the way back to the garden. You may eat of every tree freely, but of this one tree, do not eat. And what did they do? There was a temptation involved, but what did they do? They ate of that tree. Where there is a law, there is, it brings knowledge of sin. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
What did Israel struggle with throughout the entirety of the Old Testament? Idolatry. Turning aside after other gods. That shall have no graven images. What do we see over and over again in the Old Testament? Actual idols. Made. Kept. Housed. Where there is a law. You can rest assured. There will be a knowledge of sin. Because everybody. Has to come to the conclusion. If we're being honest. Everybody has to come to the place where they say. Guilty as charged. I've got nothing to say. Just using the Ten Commandments. We look at those and we say. Yeah. I can't say I'm not guilty of those things. And that's the point. When we understand. Who we are as sinners. And then we also understand. That when it comes to judgment. When it comes to being judged. That that's going to take place. That we're going to have to stand before a holy God one day. So holy God. Wretched sinners. And we come before. And and the, the, the system that is used is. Here's the law. God and his authority has given his word. He's given his law. Let's see how you measure up. To a holy God. At that point. Our mouths will be stopped. It will be. Fell short there. Fell short there. Fell short there. Fell short there. And by the way. If, if, if you want to talk about record keeping. Or whatever else. God knows all things. So the entirety of our existence. When we've fallen short. When we've sinned. When we've lied. When we've been angry. When we've wanted to harm someone else. When we've lusted after someone other than our spouse. Any of those things. Fall short of the glory of God. There is no hope. In law keeping. There is no hope. In rule following. We will never be good enough. We'll never be righteous enough. We talked about the Pharisees in, in Sunday school. Outwardly speaking, who kept the law better than anybody? Well, would have been the Jewish religious leaders of the day. Now that's disregarding the fact they came up with their own laws and they twisted things to suit their own fancies and stuff like that. But outwardly speaking, who kept the law better than anybody else? Jewish leaders of the day. And Jesus told them, you're of your father, the devil. So that's the bad news. Even, even if we're trying to be good enough. Even if we're trying to be good people. Even if we're trying to do the things that we feel like we're supposed to do because the Bible says so. If we are working and we are striving. If we are earning, seeking to earn our place to stand rightly before God. The only thing that we can look forward to. At the end of the age is. Hearing this. Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. We will not be able to stand there. And tell God. But look how often I was at church. Look how much money I gave. Look at my family history at the church. 
Look at all the things that happened. I raised kids in the church. I told them how important it was to go to church. I told them that they better they better acknowledge you and they better believe in God. I tried my best, God. I tried my best to do the things that I was supposed to do. The response will be, depart from me. I never knew. Because none of those things justify us before a holy God. I'm going to throw a couple more things in there because I really... And this is where the rubber meets the road, as it were. If we have not rested our hope and placed our faith in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, then there there is no reason why we should have confidence in salvation. And so with that being said, we we will not be able to stand before God one day and say, but God, I repeated a sinner's prayer when I was young. God, I walked an aisle when I was young. God, that preacher told me that because I said that prayer, that I was saved. No religious acts. No step-by-step process. None of that justifies us before a holy God. You say, okay, Caleb, well, if none of those things give us hope, where is our hope? Christ and Him alone. Let's continue reading from Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. If you desire to have the righteousness of God, If you desire to be clothed in the righteousness of God, there still is yet hope. Forget the law. It's not in the law. It's not in rule keeping. It's not in obedience. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Through faith, In Jesus Christ, for all who believe. He became sin who knew no sin. So that we may become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He was perfect. He met the mark. He he made the standard. The standard of God is perfection. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. He was perfect. He sinned not. Even though He was tempted in every way as we are, He sinned not. He was perfect. He met the mark. He who knew no sin became sin. When He died upon the cross, He received the wrath of God against sin. Not His own sin, but the sins of all who would ever believe. Meaning, if you're here today and you say, I'm saved, I have a confident assurance that I belong to God through Jesus Christ. Then you and I must comprehend that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just some image of suffering. It wasn't like this. It wasn't like a metaphor or anything like that. It was literal. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God against your sin. All of the sins... That you have ever committed. All of the sins 
that you'll commit through the rest of your life. The wrath of God for those sins was poured out upon Christ. And that's our, that's our only hope. He who knew no sin became sin. He received the penalty of sin. So that we may become the righteousness of God. So in the same way that upon the cross, Jesus took upon himself the punishment of all the sins of all who believe. And he received that. He took that upon himself. Those who are saved, those for whom Christ died, they receive upon themselves and they are credited with Christ's perfect obedience, Christ's righteousness. They are clothed in what Christ accomplished. A perfect, spotless, sinless life. He is righteous. He is truly righteous. And that perfect obedience, that righteousness is credited to our account and it's it's literally as if we are we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's a righteousness not of our own. We did not earn it. We did not we did not merit it. It is a gift by the grace of God, but we are clothed covered in the righteousness of Christ. If anyone says, I want to be made right before a holy God. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I've fallen short. I need to be made right before a holy God. What is this righteousness of God? How can I attain unto it? It's apart from the law. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he has already done. Being justified before God is not a matter of what do I need to do? How can I work for it? Tell me what I need to do so that I can get there. It's a matter of trusting and placing faith in what's already been done and resting. Resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ because only through His life and His work, His finished work upon the cross, are sinners made right before a holy God. For there is no distinction, Jew and Gentile. All of us here today, if I'm not mistaken, we're Gentiles. But even if that were not the case, Jew and Gentile, all people, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How are sinners justified? It is by grace, it's as a gift. Where does that redemption come from? The person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation is a word that we don't use all too often. It's a biblical word, but you don't hear it talked about too often. The, the, the best picture of propitiation that me personally, that I've ever heard, and it's what I'm going to use here today. Sadly, I honestly can't remember uh, the the pastor that I heard this from, so I don't know who to credit it to, but I do want to be clear that I did not come up with this example. I heard this from um, another minister in the faith. But propitiation, consider that 
almost view Jesus as like a sponge. God is a holy God. He is a just God. God must judge sin. But that's not just like some blanket term. That's God must judge every single sin that has ever been committed by every single individual that has ever walked the earth. In order for God to have perfect justice, every single sin that has ever been committed must be judged. We can't even begin to fathom that. Okay. Now, we know for those who believe, for those who believe, their sins have already been paid for. Now keep that in mind. Please understand this. If you are saved, that does not mean that God, you are under God's wrath, but then God just like turned a blind eye towards your sin because you place your faith in Christ. So God just overlooks your sin and says, oh, well, I've forgotten them. I'm just going to pretend that never happened. No, all of your sins, even as a Christian, all of the sins that you committed before you were born again, and then sins when we continue to fall short through the rest of our lives, each and every one of those sins must be judged or else God does not have perfect justice. Propitiation. Picture that Jesus is like a sponge. And on the cross, that sponge, Jesus Christ, He absorbed all of the wrath of God against your sin. And against my sin. And the wrath of God has been absorbed. Therefore the wrath of God has been satisfied. God has poured out the fullness of his wrath. Against the sins of all who believe. Because it is Christ who absorbed that wrath. And took that wrath for us. And that is why Paul can say in Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because those sins have already been paid for. There is no wrath of God left to be poured out for your sins. Why? Because the fullness of His wrath was poured out upon Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation for our sins. The wrath of God has been satisfied for the sins of all who believe. What about those who do not believe? They will if they stand before God in judgment as an unconverted, unregenerate sinner, then they will receive the fullness of God's wrath for their sin. But the hope of the Christian and, of course, the hope of the unsaved that is still living, has breath in their lungs and they're being exposed to the gospel, exposed to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Sinners are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So you say, okay, Caleb, that sounds wonderful. Like, that's an amazing thing. If God's wrath against my sin can be satisfied to where I never have to taste the wrath of God, like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a good deal. If there's a way... That I never have to answer to God for my sins. And God's wrath will never be poured out on me. And I can be free. Saved from the wrath of God. That sounds like something I'm interested in. How do I get that? What do I got to do? How is that gift received? How can I get that gift? It's received by faith. Believe. 
Well, what do I got to believe? That Jesus Christ was and is who he says he is. The son of God. The Messiah. That just as Moses raises, raised up the serpent in the wilderness. He must be raised up and he was raised up. And all who look upon the son and believe will be saved. Because in him is life and he's the only source of life. Believe that when he died upon the cross, that he was actually taking the punishment for your sin. Again, not just some general vague, well, I know Jesus died to, to, for the penalty of sins and everything. No. Do you believe that when he was dying on the cross, that he was taking the wrath of God for your sin? Buried, risen again, conquering sin and death, and that in conquering sin and death, he has set you free. Do you have faith that He is your only hope of eternal life? That, that He is your only hope of being made right before a holy God? Do you have faith that His propitiation was successful? That He successfully took the wrath of God for the sins of all who ever believe? Yeah, I believe all those things. Then biblically speaking, if you make that profession of faith that Christ is my only hope. Christ is Savior. Christ is my Redeemer. I'm only saved because of the work that Christ has done. Christ has made me right with the Father. Biblically speaking, if that, that is a profession of faith. You say, you say, okay, well, what do I got to do to really make sure that I'm a Christian? You just took a wrong step. Christian living is not what makes the Christian. Christian living is simply what the Christian does because of what's already been done. There's a difference. So many people have this mindset that, well, when I was, when I was 15 or 16 or when I was 20 or 25 or 30, I made the decision to be a Christian. And that means I started going to church. I changed the music that I listened to. I changed what I watched on TV. I even might have had to change the clothes that I was wearing because I used to dress pretty you know, provocatively or whatever else. I changed the type of clothes that I wore and I, I changed all this stuff because I decided to be a Christian. Can somebody who goes through all of that, can somebody who makes the decision to start going to church, to change what they watch, change what they listen to, change what they wear, change their whole lifestyle, can somebody who makes those decisions and actually like is pretty good at them, like they work hard at it. Can somebody like that still be unsaved? Yes. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, how in the world can somebody who does because all those things are those are those are like religious things, those are spiritual things. For somebody to to not watch stuff they used to watch, to not listen to stuff they used to listen to, to not dress the same way, to not hang out with the same people they used to hang out with, to not drink like they used to drink. To go to church when they used to never go to church. We, all those are godly things. Yes. Outwardly speaking. Does that mean that that person has rested their hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Or did they make all of those changes to try to make themselves right with God? And if they made those changes to make themselves right with God. I can guarantee you they are not right with God. Because scripture says as much.
If we perform our religious duties, our religious activities, because we think that these things make us right with God, then yes, there's a very good chance we are still not right with God. The only thing that has ever made any sinner right with God is the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ and having faith in that. Faith in Him. That the work that He accomplished was perfect and it was good and it was found to be acceptable in the sight of the Father. He is our hope of salvation. You say, well, Caleb, all that other stuff is important, right? We should live like Christians. We should live like people who know God. Yes, absolutely. Please don't think that I'm not saying that. We should do those things. But we do those things because we understand we have already been made right with God. We have been redeemed. We have been saved because of Christ and His finished work. Therefore, we joyously live a life of obedience for the glory of God. And we understand that being obedient to God is not too much to ask and it's not a drag. There's some people that say, well, you know, being a Christian is hard because sometimes I still want to go out and have fun like I used to. I thought, well, wait a minute. The Christian life isn't thinking I don't get to do fun stuff anymore. And if that is how you think, then we're still missing the boat. We're still missing the mark. The Christian life is, well, now I've got to do what God wants me to do and I can't do the fun stuff anymore. No. Okay. The Christian life is. We know that we've been redeemed. We know that we've been set free. We know that we belong to him. Our life is his. Our life is in Christ. The life that we now live. Is Christ living in us. And so we joyfully obey. We joyfully submit to God. And what he has for us. And what he says to do. So let me continue before I lose my place. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. So, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered, well, what about the people who were truly saved, so to speak, that truly had faith in the Old Testament? When were their sins paid for? When Christ died upon the cross. When did God pour out his wrath upon all of that sin? When Christ died upon the cross. You know, there's events that happened in the Old Testament. Where God got very angry with his people. Where God poured out judgment upon the people. And God punished the people. There's even events like Moses not being able to enter into the promised land because of his actions. Abram had a child with Hagar instead of Sarah because they tried to take matters into their own hands and come up with their own plan. That was a misstep. That's sin. God hates sin. So why did God not just pour out his wrath then? Why did God not ever... Pour out the fullness of His wrath upon the people of Israel. Well, first and foremost, for the sake of this sermon and our Genesis study that we've been doing, God made a promise in Genesis 3 that the head of the serpent will be crushed by the seed of the woman. We're to the call of Abraham now in that study. 
If God would have completely wiped out all of Israel, he'd really be going against his own word and he'd be breaking his own promise to completely destroy that. So again, keep in mind, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, God is revealing his great plan of redemption that culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which results in Christ having preeminence over all things. So from Genesis all the way through until we see Christ and, and his finished work upon the cross, you see this connection of the seed of the woman. And it all connects right back to... So God's keeping His Word. God is keeping that promise. Was God actually angry in these moments? Was God actually uh, wanting to pour out judgment upon His people in, in these events? Yes, absolutely. So why did He not pour out the fullness of His wrath then? Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. In his, divine, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sin. And so all of those sins that were committed in the Old Testament, for all of those years, the wrath of God not being fully poured out, even those sins in the Old Testament, those heinous, evil, wicked, ungodly sins that we read about in the Old Testament, for those who were of the remnant of Israel, if you will. For those who were truly chosen by God. For those that belonged to God. For those who had genuine faith in the Old Testament. All of those sins paid for in the person of Jesus Christ as He hung on the tree. And all of the Old Testament saints, looking back, we would say the Old Testament saints... They received their justification fully through the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Having faith, believing, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He may be just and the justifier. Beautiful phrase there. He may be just because He is God. Every single sin has to be punished. If God does not punish every single sin, then He is not perfectly just. He must be perfectly just or He's not God. That is why it's important for us to understand. If we believe, if we have faith, if we have confidence that we belong to God, God is still just. It's not like He just overlooked our sin and said, Oh, I didn't see that. That didn't happen. It's... Those sins, each and every one of them, have been paid for. The penalty has already been paid. Therefore, He is a just God. But He is also the justifier of the one who has faith because He says, your sins were paid for through Him. Through my Son. He paid for your sins. He took my wrath. And you never will taste my wrath. Because of Him. So He's just because all sins have been punished. But He is the justifier of the one who has faith because He says, you are justified because of what my Son has accomplished. Then what becomes of our boasting? If you're here today, you say, I'm a believer. What are you boasting in? Please, let it not be the works that you have done as a Christian. The religious activities that you have participated in. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. 
By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. You uphold the law because the law proves that we are sinners who need salvation. We are sinners who need to be justified before God. So the law comes in, but then there's grace. What then shall we say? Now going into chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. What did he do? He believed. Yeah, but what else did he do? He believed. That's what was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If we think that working and striving earns us salvation, then it's not grace. We say, well, I went to church. I paid my dues. I mean my tithes. Sorry. I paid my tithes. I paid my offerings. That was a joke. Y'all can smile a little bit. I did this. I gave. I followed the rules. I did all of this. That's why I need to be accepted by God. If that's our mindset, then we are literally saying God owes us. I did my part. Look at what I've done. You owe me my wage. And my wage is salvation. Look at what I did. Look at all of my works. God forbid any of us ever have that mindset. But to the one, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is that you today? Do you desire that to be you today? Do you want to be able to say, My lawless deeds forgiven. My sins, they've been covered. Yes, I am a sinner. But through Jesus Christ, I have been justified before God. Can you say those things today? If not, do you desire to be able to say those things today? Place your faith, rest in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is our only hope of salvation. That is our only hope of being justified before God. I want to close by simply reading another portion of Scripture. Romans 4, starting in verse 16. I read, I read through some of these verses when we first started uh, our, when we really dove into the life of Abraham, which is I think three weeks ago now. But with everything that we've talked about here this morning, keep this in mind. And, and please understand, I know that we talked about the bad news and I know that we talked about not depending on law keeping and rule keeping and stuff like that. Please understand um, that the aim of this message is to give joy, is to give hope, is to give assurance. Because yes, we do need to consider that all of the 
depending on the law, depending on the rules, depending on the bad news, we do need to acknowledge that. We need to see it for what it is. And we need to turn away from that and turn to the hope of Jesus Christ. So with these things in mind, Romans 4, verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It will be counted counted to us. It will be counted to all who believe. The righteousness of God counted to us, credited to us through faith. Faith in the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, do you have confidence? Are you confident that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, then praise God. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And move on, continuing to grow, continuing to be sanctified, continuing to be edified in the faith. Grow up into salvation so that you can be mature. Not tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, but that you may stand fast like that tree planted by the waters. But if you are here today and you say, I don't really have any confidence at all that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Your only hope is Christ. Repent and believe. We are justified through faith. Faith in Christ alone. So there is good news for the one who says, I do not have peace with God, but I desire to have peace with God. Believe. We're justified through faith. Repent and believe. I pray that each and every one of us, even if you've been in church for 50, 60 years or 50 or 60 minutes, maybe this was the first time you ever came to church. I don't know. I pray that each and every one of us, that God continues to grant to us a clearer, more firm understanding of the gospel, how we are made right with God, how we live the Christian life, and that we grow in our knowledge and our wisdom and our understanding of the gospel and of the person 
of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Thank you guys for listening well. As always, let's close in a word of prayer.